ओम श्री साई राम प्रशांति संदेश क्वेश्चन एंड आंसर सेशन वेलकम्स यू वी हैव ए क्वेश्चन नाउ इट इट रन्स लाइक दिस देर थ्री नेम्स विच आर ऑफन यूज बाई एवरीबडी विच आर मैंशन इन अवर स्क्रिप्चर्स ऑल्सो those three terms are shiva ishwara and paramatma shiva ishwara and paramatma the question is are the three same or are they different because most commonly ishwara and shiva are taken as synonyms not so ishwara is different from shiva well to begin with shiva is one among the trinity the three forms of the divine trinity trimurti t h r i m u r THI so shiva is one among the trinity and shiva is known as annihilator or destroyer shiva symbolizes tamoguna t h a m o g u n a tamoguna so let us be very clear that shiva is one among the trinity and annihilator representing tamasic quality then the second name is ishwara who is ishwara ishwara is the master of all the three gunas satvik rajasik and tamasik is the master or controller of all the three attributes and this ishwara being the controller and the master assigns duties to trinity brahma is given that creative capacity and so he is the creator vishnu is bestowed with sustaining capacity or administrating capacity while shiva the annihilator is given this the capacity to annihilate so ishwara delegated delegated all these three powers to these three are trinity brahma vishnu maheshwara well i may also add here that brahma represents rajasic quality vishnu represents satvic quality while shiva represents tamasic quality so 
with this, these three qualities, given to them, they do their job in these three aspects of creation, sustenance and destruction. So these three are delegated. The three attributes are given to them by Ishwara being the master or controller. But one has to be born in the mind that though he is the controller of the three attributes, he is beyond these three attributes, not at all affected by them. He just deputes or delegates or distributes these three aspects of creation, sustenance and destruction. So Vishnu is uh, what you call the sustainer. I think I'm quite clear. So Shiva is one among the Trinity, while Ishwara is the master of all these three attributes who distributed all the three of these powers to this trinity, Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva. Ishwara is the master. That way, Ishwara and Shiva are different. In this context, I may bring to your attention a composition by a very famous poet by name Bhartruhari. Bhartruhari is a very famous poet. He has put all these aspects of the Trinity this way in a poetic style. Brahma is the pot maker. He is to make pots. And what are these pots? All the beings, all the creatures. Being the creator, he creates these beings, all the creatures, pots. From Pindanda to Brahmanda. Pindanda, the subtlest Brahmanda, the biggest, the biggest. Now, Bhartulari says that Vishnu has to be born again and again and take the form of avatar or incarnation. There are ten avatars or incarnations which are quite known. So Vishnu has to pass through the tough job of taking these ten incarnations one after the another. And Bhartuhari says that Shiva has no other job. So he is given the job to beg for his food, bhikshatana, beg for his arms. That's how in a humorous style Bhartuhari describes the Trinity. So, to let you know the creative capacity to Brahma, the sustaining capacity to Vishnu, and the annihilating capacity to Shiva are assigned or given or bestowed by Ishwara himself being the controller. Now, 
वाइल परमात्मा और ब्रह्मन ब्रह्मन इज द प्राइमार्डियल प्रिंसिपल द एब्सोल्यूट ट्रूथ व्हिच इज एट्रिब्यूटलेस एट्रिब्यूटलेस एंड दिस परमात्मा और ब्रह्मन has in him all the three attributes totally dissolved or merged in him totally being very inactive in him so paramatma brahman is attributeless gunatita gunatita meaning beyond the attributes so we can understand this paramatma or brahman who is attributeless becomes active when he is called ishvara so brahman takes the form of ishvara or plays the role of ishvara and as ishvara being the master controls the outer and inner senses this is what we call uh, the one with attributes or saguna aspect now ishvara also controls the inner and outer senses yama and niyama there are the control of ishvara now let us go to the paramatma or brahma it is said in vedanta in vedanta aham brahmasmi i am brahman it means absolute truth i am brahman and brahman is totally attributeless the scripture describes that is unconquerable nobody can defeat him aparajita and then he is there not as a dictator he is there as an eternal witness anyanta anyanta and third he has nothing to follow no rules or what you call no procedures to adopt because he is just the witness aniyama aniyama and then he he has to um uh what you call a function as ayamaha ayamaha meaning yes no yama or niyama no outer senses or inner senses to be under control i repeat once again brahma is attributeless aparajita aniyanta aniyama ayamaha these are aparajita sarvashaha is spread all over all over attributeless form and this brahma or paramatma becomes active as ishvara and ishara delegates powers to the trinity
I would rather sum up giving you an example. Supposing an, an archer is holding bow and an arrow, bow and an arrow, he is holding them, but he does not shoot the arrow. He has the bow and arrow in him, but he does not shoot. He does not put to use the bow and arrow. That is Brahman or Paramatma. When once the arrow is shot, when once bow and arrow are put to use, that is the role of Ishwara. So Brahman becomes active as Ishwara. That's all one divinity only. Just as a witness is Paramatma, and if it takes to activity, he becomes Ishwara. That's what I would share with you, so far as this topic is concerned. Now, we have another question. What is world and prapancha and who is divine or divinity? Paramatma. Paramatma is God. Prapancha is the world, meaning creation and creator. What is the difference between the two? The answer, according to Advaita, the theory of monism or non-duality, let me explain this. The, all the world that you see, all the world is visible, is in reality is divine only. God appearing as the world. God manifest as the world. So the world that you see is nothing but God manifestation. And if the world does not, does not, or if the world is not seen, then you will have Paramatma. So the one you see is God as Prapancha, the world. And the one, if the that world is not seen, you will have Paramatma or God. In other words, God manifests is nature. Nature unmanifest is God. I think I am clear. Now the question is logically, we get this question. You'll be able to see which is in existence. We see the world. And the world, as I said now, is not the world as such. It is only God manifestation. That is the point here. So you see that which is in existence. When you see this, how can you say it is all false? There is God manifested in the form of the world. How can I say that? That becomes a, a, a question. The answer 
in non-dualistic philosophy, Advaita, an example given quite often is this. There is a rope or radzu. Radzu means rope. But that rope which is at a distance is appearing as a snake, sarpa, S-A-R-P-A. So radzu, R-A-J-G-U, the rope is appearing as sarpa, the serpent. Is it the serpent? No. It is the rope only. In other words, rope is appearing as a serpent. Rope is appearing as a serpent. The radzu is appearing as sarpa. In a similar way, God is appearing as prapancha or the world. Now, the strange thing is, is this, that devotee, a bhatta, thinks God is in a pilgrimage center, and that God is in a temple. That is his view of a devotee. But in Advaita, God is everywhere. Only God exists, all the rest do not. The reality is the divinity alone, the absolute truth, nothing less than that. That's Advaita, the theory of monism. Only one divinity that exists without the second. Now, there are two things that come to our mind. One is Jiva, the other is Jagat. Jiva is individual soul, this Jagat is the world, these two. I am here as an individual soul, Jiva, and living in this world, the Jagat. Jiva and Jagat, both are there. When I see the Jagat, how can I say it does not? When I say I am here as an individual, how can I say I don't exist? But the Advaita says only Paramatma, God, appears as two, as Jiva and Jagat. Jiva, the individual, is divine. Jagat is the manifestation of divinity. Both are basically divine only. In other words, God appears as two, Jeva, Jiva and Jagat. This fact is known by visionaries, seers of this country, but nowhere. But this uh, actual, divinity is actual, notional is Jiva, Jagat. Jiva and Jagat are notional, while in reality, actual is Brahman only. Therefore, let us know clearly that everything is divine, nothing else. Nothing else. I know, but monism or Advaita has got a, a, a has got an approach of synthesis. It does not deny anything. It is not analysis. It is synthesis. How does it synthesize? 
just for a moment please jiva and jagat are there as we live as we experience which cannot be denied therefore advaitas or um, non duality says that these two jiva and jagat are vyavaharika satya vyavaharika satya meaning worldly truth but the divinity the only one that is appearing as these two is that which is paramardhika spiritual truth so the spiritual truth says it is only god while worldly truth says that these two jiva and jagat exist the conclusion is the ultimate the absolute spiritual truth is god only appearing as two the jiva and jagat i think i am quite clear this is very clearly explained in chandogya upanishad very clearly so when we look from the point of divinity as satrupa sadrupa meaning sat expression chidrupa the expression of chit sadrupa and chidrupa existence and awareness that is the actual but the notional only that notional or what you call worldly truth will only make you think in terms of jiva and jagat vyavaharika satya this i explained now one example i have a dream there in the dream i'm traveling in my car along the streets of london with several experiences there in the dream i create myself there is jiva in my dream also which is just created by my mind experiencing all those experiences but the truth is i am in puttaparthi living in my flat lying on my bed the dream experience i was moving along the streets of london but the reality i am here in puttaparthi this we have got to understand what is the solution to this the solution to this is a dreamer a man in dreams if he wakes up comes to the waking state or jagrat he will know the truth that's all a dream the reality is this that you will understand so this wakefulness is called prabodham prabodham p r a b o d h a m prabodham or this kind of reality can be known by enlightenment or atmajnana till then we will be mistaken till then we will be under illusion this is very well explained in nirvana dashakam nirvana dashakam a composition by adi shankara he very well explains 
that everything is false excepting god the reality the brahman the paramatman is only one without the second all others are mere appearances are abhasa abhichye sa therefore let us come to conclusion that point number 1 god manifests nature nature unmanifest is god clear number 2 if you see the rope you don't think of snake at all but when you think rope is a snake it is a mistaken identity in a similar way rope is divinity snake is the world divinity appearing as the world that's all is all illusion next point jiva and jagat individual soul and the universe these two are essentially basically brahman only brahman appearing as these two jiva and jagat brahman is actual and jiva and jagat are notional last point is jiva and jagat is vyavaharika satya or worldly truth and divinity brahman is paramarthika satya which is all pervading what you can call spiritual truth or absolute truth this is very well explained in chandogya upanishad also well explained there in that upanishad this is rather a three dimensional approach there is fourth dimension dimension also that covers all these three while one is analysis while advaitam is synthesis thus advaita reforms and transforms our perspective such that we know that's only one brahman that exists nothing else the one without the second but most unfortunately the vyadhi vyadhi v y a d h i our sickness meaning mind misplaced mind misdirected and this mind has to be set right that is samadhi well placed mind is samadhi ill placed mind is vyadhi samadhi well placed mind meaning looking at everything everything as the divine as the divine only nothing remains that is uh, the reality that is samadhi therefore i can conclude by saying this aspect of advaitic aspect monism has to be understood clearly one day or other because bal bhagwan talks or almost all of them are based on advaitic philosophy at the same time not denying other schools but emphasis stress is laid on advaita thank you meet again sai ram om shri sai ram prashanti sandesh 
question and answer session welcomes you. Now, at the beginning, let me say that fictions are only reflections of life. There cannot be anything more surprising. No fiction is so fictitious as life itself. Life is made up of the stuff called dreams. Hence the mystic says life is illusion, maya, a mirage. It is a mystery, unfathomable, infinite, beginningless, endless. But we feel it only once in a while when something really extraordinary happens and we are shocked into wakefulness. Only then we understand that life is far more surprising because we are fast asleep. Unless something out of the way very outlandish, far out happens when we are shaken and shocked into a little bit of awareness. Only then we see what a miracle life is, how much surprise it contains. Well, that's all apart about fiction in relation to our life. And here I may draw your attention to the Buddhas. To Buddha, each moment is a surprise. Because it is in each moment new, renewing itself. Everything is extraordinary if you are alert and if you are sensitive enough, if you are open enough. Now the whole life from the mundane to the sacred, from the lowest to the highest, the whole life is such a mystery that you are always in for a surprise. It depends on your sensitivity. It depends on your awareness. It depends on how conscious you are. Therefore, every moment is new. Every moment is a surprise. Well, a Zen master was asked, why did you use to do before you became enlightened? What did you use to do before you became enlightened? He said, I used to chop wood and carry water from the well for my master's house. The, master, the Zen master, well, has not anything other than fetching water for his master. Then the enquirer asked, and now that you have become enlightened, what do you do? Then he said, I chop wood and carry water. The enquirer 
was obviously puzzled. Then what's the difference? You used to chop wood and carry water. You still chop wood and still carry water. Then what is the difference? Prior to the enlightenment, enlightenment, even after the enlightenment, he was doing the same thing. And hence the question. The master laughed. He said, the difference is infinite. Before I simply used to chop wood, not knowing the beauties that surrounded me. Now, chopping wood is not the same because I am not the same. My eyes are not the same. My heart beats in a different rhythm. My heart beats with the heart of the whole. There is a synchronicity. There is harmony. Carrying water from the well is the same from the outside. But my interior has become totally different. I'm a new man. I'm a new man. I'm born again. Now I can see in depth. I can see into the very core of things. And each pebble has become a diamond. And each song of a bird is nothing but a call from God. And whenever a flower blooms, God blooms for me. Looking into people's eyes, I'm looking into God's eyes. Yes, on the surface, I may be carrying on the same activity, but because I am not the same, the world is not the same. So start becoming a little more alert and watch things. You'll be surprised. Life is mysterious, unexplainable, unexplainable. If you become little alert, you'll find love, light, laughter everywhere, everywhere. <coughs> well, um, there was one, a, a saintly person by the name Hatai, H-O-T-E-I. He attained an, an, he attained enlightenment, enlightenment. And then he started laughing. He lived at least 30 years afterwards. He continued laughing for 30 years. Even in sleep, his disciples would hear him jiggling. His whole message to the world was laughter. He would go from one town to another just laughing. He would stand one marketplace then another, just laughing, and people would gather. His laughter had something of the beyond, a Buddha's laughter. He is known in Japan as the laughing Buddha. His laughter was so contagious that whatsoever heard, it would start laughing. Soon the whole marketplace would be laughing. Crowds would gather and laugh, and they would ask him, just give us a few instructions. Hatoi would say, nothing more is enough. If you can laugh, if you can laugh totally, it is meditation. Laughter was his device. It is said many people became enlightened through Hatoi's laughter. 
that was his only meditation to laugh and help people laugh. See, what a wonderful thing it is. Just look at people and each person is a fiction and each person carries so many stories in his heart. Love people, search in their souls and you will not need to go to the movies and you will not need to read novels. Each person contains many novels and many movies, but we don't listen to people. We don't see people face to face. We don't hold their hands. We don't allow them to open their hearts. For the first time, humanity has become very closed. Each person is living a windowless life, completely encapsulated. Open up, open up. Through your doors and windows open. Let wind and rain and sun come in. Let people enter into you <clears throat> and you enter into people's lives. That's the only way to become aware of the tremendous mystery of life. And to be aware of the mystery of life is to be aware of God. So, in this question, is life a fiction or is life a, a mystery? The answer to both is that we have to open up. Open up. You'll find many surprising things in life. We're closed, most unfortunately. We don't open up. And once you do that, you'll find every moment is surprising. Every moment is worth living. And this, I would say, is the actual reality we find in our lives. Then we have another question that has uh, been quite uh, interesting. That question is this. Many people would like to say no, no to, uh, to anything. Talk to anybody uh, of this kind. If you just ask them, no. We think that as if they don't know. Yes in their life. No in their life. So let us say no to no. Yes. That's what we call the individuality, the freedom that's created by no is only a transitory process. You have to go beyond. It is a boat that has to be left behind. When you have reached the roof, you leave the ladder. It is a bridge to be crossed. Now learn how to say yes. No, you know perfect well. So, those who, who come to different places, they come against their parents sometimes 
they go to some secluded places they go to some ashrams against the wishes of their parents because parents are hindus mohammedans christians buddhists jainas but a typical ashram like prashantilayam you are nobody and you leave all that the all that you carry with you so a new religion is not created please understand in prashantilayam but a new man a new consciousness is created a new philosophy or theology are not created but a new vision a new human humanity is created here in prashantilayam so we may come when people may say no but yet we like it now swami and prashantilayam will teach you how to say the ultimate yes the function of the no is incomplete if you go on saying no here too then you are misunderstanding the place and swami completely because um he has to take this no away from you and create yes in you the work of the no is complete now you need a higher flight now you need a higher altitude of being that is possible only through yes because yes is positive what i am trying to bring your attention is people have turned to this no attitude to this no psychology saying no to each and everything that is not the way against this background many people which is so many pilgrimage centers ashrams go to gurus but one thing has to be realized that we need to develop a new vision a new humanity is not holding on to the religion alone something more creative in fact no gives you a negative kind of individuality yes gives you a positive individuality a negative individuality is not real individuality it is only personality a mask good in its own time but remember always that every means has to be transcended some day or other buddha used to say once i saw five fools carrying a boat on their heads in the marketplace i asked them what is the matter with you why are you carrying this boat they said this boat help us to come from the other shore to this shore 
this boat has helped our lives if this boat has uh, had not been available on the other shore there were wild animals and we had and we had uh, to remain there even only for one night we'd be dead by now we cannot forget this great blessing that the boat has bestowed on upon us out of sheer thankfulness we'll carry the boat forever on our heads buddha said this is the way stupid people they carry scriptures they carry ideologies they carry philosophies on their heads rather than becoming a help the boat has become a hindrance it would have been better if they had died on the other shore at least they would have given they would have been saved carrying this weight their whole lives now this weight will kill them no one is good but nobody can live in the no nobody can make a home out of the no no is suicidal use it but go beyond it be alert and conscious that you don't become encaged in the no saying attain to yes use no as a stepping stone by being part of this commune by being part of the community we have to learn how to say yes with totality that is trust that is surrender that is faith that will become a bridge the final bridge between you and god it will not destroy your freedom it will simply make you your power freedom positive this what i would rather say to this subject or to this question say no to no learn to say yes well finally i move on to the third question what's freedom comment on freedom there are three kinds of freedom one is freedom from that's a negative freedom freedom from the father freedom from the mother freedom from the church freedom from the society that is a negative kind of freedom freedom from good in the beginning but that cannot be the goal once you are free from your parents what are you going to do once you are free from society then you'll be at a loss you will lose all meaning and significance because your whole life had a meaning in saying no now whom to say no to whom tell me whom to say no to a young man came to me he wanted to marry a girl he was a brahmin very high caste brahmin very respected in the society he wanted to marry a parsi girl the parents were obviously against it absolutely against it and they told him that if he married that girl they would 
disown him. And he was the only son. The more stubborn the parents became, the more young man became determined to marry the girl. He had come to ask me for my advice. I said, just meditate for three days on one thing. Are you really interested in the girl? Or are you simply interested in saying no to your parents? He said, why do you say this to me? I love the girl. I'm absolutely in love. I said, if you say, then get married. But I don't see any love in your eyes. I don't see any love in your heart. I don't see any fragrance of love. I only see some negative aura around you. A black aura around your face. It says you're determined to go against your parents. And girl is only an excuse. But he would not listen. But he was not going to listen to his parents. How was he going to listen to me? He got married. After six months, he came to see me, crying and weeping. He said, you are right. I don't love that woman. That love was fake, false. You are right. Your diagnosis was right. Now that I have got married to her and I have denied my parents' order, all love disappeared. All love disappeared. This is freedom from. This is not much of a freedom, but better than nothing. The second kind of freedom is freedom for. That's positive freedom. Your interest is not in denying something. Rather, you want to create something. For example, you want to be a poet. And just because you want to be a poet, you have to say no to your parents. But your basic orientation is that you want to be a poet. And your poor parents would, would like you to be a plumber, a better. Better be a plumber. That's far more pain, far more economical, far more respectable to you. Poet, people will think you are crazy. And how are you going to live? And how are you going to support your wife and your children? Poetry cannot be. But if you are for poetry, ready to risk all, this is a higher freedom, better than the first. It is a positive freedom, freedom for. If you have to live a life of poverty, you'll be happy. You'll be cheerful. Even if you have to chop wood to remain a poet, you'll be utterly blissful, fulfilled. Because you are doing what you wanted to do. You are doing your own thing. This is a positive freedom. And then there is a third freedom, the highest in the East, we call it moksha, the ultimate freedom, which goes beyond both the negative and the positive. First, learn saying no, then learn saying yes, and then just forget both, just be. The third freedom is not against something, not for something, but just freedom. One simply free 
no question of going against, no question of going for. Freedom from is political, hence all political revolutions fail when they succeed. If they do not succeed, they go on hoping, but the moment they succeed, they fail because they don't know what to do. That happened in the French Revolution, happened in Russian Revolution, that happens so in every revolution. A political revolution is freedom from, but freedom for is artistic, creative, scientific and just, and just freedom is religious, religious. So just freedom, neither for nor against, nothing, neither this nor that, but pure freedom, just the fragrance of freedom. Therefore, we have to know the positive one, freedom for. So you are going to be creative in thousand and one ways. It is every, it is a every possible way we are going to be creative so that you can learn how to say yes to life. When the yes has destroyed your no, both can be thrown away. That is the ultimate joy in freedom, in realization. Thank you for your time. We'll meet again.